So, um, originally, I wanted to talk to you about the jail economy. Yes. Because I know that, for me, between it, it was basically an even split between thinking, thinking about the economy and thinking about language and slang and how it's used and where it came from as some of the things that I felt were intellectually engaging while I was locked up. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I feel that you have in common with me is that we're not really, if I may say so myself, <laughs> the typical criminals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of what people seem to enjoy just wasn't that appealing to me. Like, uh, a lot of people were betting all the time, or there, there, were, there was a lot of, there were a lot of status games that mm-hmm. were be being played, where people would do things to look like the coolest blank, that I just didn't care about. Um, when extreme, ex- not so extreme, but extreme to me. One example of this is clothing. People would obsess over having the newest, crispest jail clothes, which we called crispies. And I literally heard someone, I mean, my first thought was, okay, this kind of makes sense. It's a limited resource, so it's going to have demand. But really, it makes sense because you have to go to court. And looking presentable in front of the judge could turn into um, some years less, possibly. Or probably some fraction of that. um, That you serve because your presentation is something that gets taken into account when deciding your sentence. However... (laughs) What what made it extreme was that I literally heard someone say, "Don't don't wear your crispies to court. You'll ruin them. You know those are for walking around here, walking around the jail." <laughs> and then I realized people are people are not optimizing. It has nothing to do with court. Yeah, it's just the status game amongst many other ones. Yeah, but um, I wanted to just hear some of your thoughts on the jail economy. Um, so I'll, I'll ask questions to prompt it, but you can deviate away as much as you want. Sure, sure. What is it? What's interesting about it? How would you define it? So, um, when it came to the jail economy, part of it was, um, I, I like to, I like to take things and kind of break them apart. Okay. And, um, I, you were way ahead of the game. You, you were looking at slang and the language completely. I, I had no, did not occur to me (laughs) at any point that I could have. But um, but the economy was something because it, it always seemed it was this very interesting, ever changing. Uh, to me, it kind of seemed like a game. Yeah. You know, it's a game, and I love games. So playing and learning how to play this this kind of complex game, this ever shifting game, was huge for me, and it gave me something to do. Because in jail, I'm sure you know this uh, all too well. It's just it's it's this boredom. Yeah. It's this nothingness that yeah. you have to deal with the whole time. The whole time. And and to add on top of the nothingness, before the sentencing is actually much worse, I feel. Because I would you don't know how long you're gonna be living in that type of environment. Yeah. So you can make calls and speak to people living in the regular world and just kind of be lost for words when they're saying, How long is this going to last? And what would add insult to injury is going to court. Um, waiting what amount of whatever amount of time to go to court, going to court, going through the whole process of getting checked if you're bringing any contraband, getting on the bus, getting chained to someone, unchained, waiting in the waiting cell, move to another waiting cell, 
you move up, you're finally in the courtroom, you're seeing the lawyers and the people just kind of relax and talk to each other. And then you finally, they, they go through all of the other inmates. They get to you and say, uh, come back in a month. Yeah, they just move <laughs> you. Oh, my God. There was, there was, I had that once in jail where I went through the process. They, I, I went up and they said, yeah, we're rescheduling you. And I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah. Why? Don't do that. Jesus. And you're thinking, what progress is being made? And it seems for the majority of people who are taking um, some kind of a plea bargain that you don't really know what all of the possible deals are. I remember a lot of people saying, like, don't take your first deal. Whatever it is, don't take it. It'll get better. And I was thinking, how could it get better, you know? Haven't they looked through everything and decided this is the best thing? That's not the case. Um, Most people that I saw, they'd come back, I got 19 years, but I'm waiting. I got 15 years, but I'm waiting. I got 10 years. It'll get down to like six years. And what started 19. And you realize this is really almost like a game of chicken. Um, but anyhow, uh, I to get back to the economy. Um, meanwhile, when you're not going to court, you're just living. And what I felt was the first month, the first two months maybe... I was basically, I was in, in, in general population for roughly five months. But mm-hmm. before that, it was a different world because I was in solitary in another county. So the games were completely different and the economy wasn't even a factor. But in general population for five months, the first two months going through this process of not knowing how long you're going to be there, the court kind of scheduling things month by month rather than day by day, mm-hmm. and just living with these other inmates coming in and out. Some people get bailed out. Some people have been there for the last nine months, right? You realize that it, it, for me at least, it turned more into like a fraternity or a clubhouse than it was a place for punishment because you got used to all the conditions that at the beginning are pretty extreme, mm-hmm. being locked away from society, right? Yeah. I, it, it didn't even matter being lo- that the door was locked after two months. And... I think this plays into the whole gaming aspect of it because it really was a game for a lot of people. It's it's something that you could just do for your, your spare time and it was one of the rewarding things you could do. You can get some kind of a mental stimulation from working someone on a deal mm-hmm. Or from just having knowledge about the economy that newcomers don't have. So one example of this is people like to make what are called spreads. I yes, I'm, I'm very familiar with the. But explain. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm explaining more for the listener. Yeah. People like to make spreads, and spreads in summary are a top ramen soup. I think these are the basic requirements: top ramen soup, some bag of chips like Doritos, and. Some kind of, uh, I guess, soup, chip. I, th- I think that's all you need, just soup and chips. But usually rice was a part of it. Beans might be a part of it. Tortillas might be a part of it. And uh, the seasonings added a whole new dimension. Uh, pork rinds added a new dimension. So basically, people are taking commissary items, which are the items that are available for purchase in jail. And they're making the best delicacies that they can with the, you know, high fat, high salt food. Uh, yeah, foods 
that are available to them. And um, surprisingly, they're pretty good, but I tried to avoid them. Anyhow, the point is there are certain ingredients that you can't buy. You can only get, or they're just more rare. They're hard to come across, and they're, they're always in high demand. Um, and they might come for free during lunch or during a certain meal that we get just, you know, automatically from the county that we don't have to buy on commissary. And a big item was the jellies. Was this the case in uh, the place you were? It was lunch meat for us. Oh, lunch meat. Okay, lunch I can meat. understand yeah. that. For some reason, lunch meats were like, spicy meats were really in high demand, but lunch meats were easy to come by. Uh, but anyhow, one thing that was a game that I definitely played is if a new person comes in, make them a bad deal that they don't know is bad. So trade like a bread for a jelly or trade like just something that nobody values for their jelly. Mm-hmm. And they might think, mm, okay, they're, they're thinking in terms of how they value the foods rather than how the rest of the inmates value it. Mm-hmm. So they would make the deal. Um, or just being able to... Just being able to flaunt things that were in high demand was really fun for me. Because it's like, uh, it, it doesn't take any real effort. Like, if you don't care about anything at all, then it's a way that you can be on the map for people who care very deeply about it. So I would stack up, like, a bunch of jellies. And uh, I remember at one point, I got to the point where I really wanted to mess with people. So I would tape a jelly to my wall. And I wrote, nope, on the tape, right? And then I'd just leave. But as you know, you can't steal in the pot, Yeah. So people would be desperate for a jelly. Eventually, they're ready to spread, which is the verb for making the spread. Spread is the name of the meal, but spreading is also the name for the word. It's what you do. Yeah, it's something to do as well, which is kind of funny when you're thinking about the words. But anyhow... um, Come on, man, let me have a jelly. What I, oh, oh, no, sorry. That one's just for decoration. <laughs> but um, I, I think that gaming is just a part of who we are. I mean, when you're in jail, on some level, you're in the middle of a sociological experiment. You're seeing what human beings are like when all uh, honor is, well, that's another conversation, but... What, on all honors is supposed to be stripped from them. Mm-hmm. Um, although for a lot of people, it turns out being in jail is somewhat an honorable thing to do. Not very far off from going to the military. Yeah. It's not something people want to do, but if you have to do it, there's a, a, a honorable way to do it. I've noticed a lot of people had that attitude. Well, you can do your time this way and still, you know, that's a respectable thing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, in a way, we're kind of, it's about more than our personal experiences, and it's about more than, like, crime or mental health, but just about people. What are people like? If you wanted to answer that question, having an experience in jail might be valuable. Maybe some part of it is valuable. Maybe only 1% of what we say is valuable, but I, I don't think it's debatable that there is some value in seeing the way people behave and the rules that they came up with, you know, are, they're just, they're kind of interesting, especially from the perspective of someone who doesn't know anything about this world, and you're just plopped in it, and you have to learn. Yeah. You make discoveries, and I don't know, it's, it's, the jail economy to me isn't that far off from the regular economy, um, but 
it's certainly a way to, I don't know, it just, it kind of opens my eyes to problems in the regular economy. Um, like I was saying um, a little bit earlier, toilet paper was one of the, one of the things that's maybe worth studying because, or worth thinking about because in jail, it's a very race-driven environment, at least where I was. I can't speak on every jail, but um, that was a factor in your day, and toilet paper was a good example of this. So if you were, you know, race A, you would go to the representative from that race and ask them for toilet paper. Um, and then usually they would have some stored. And at the end and beginning of each day, the correctional officers would drop off two rolls of toilet paper for each representative, and I think there were like anywhere from four to seven um, different groups in my um, pod. But the problem was the distribution of toilet paper did not match the distribution of inmates in that group. Each group got an equal amount. So if group A has 30 new people come into their group in the week, right, and group B only has one, and they lose nine people, they're still both getting basically four rolls of toilet paper yeah. per day. And one of the funny things about the way that this was distributed was that the representatives, because of this system, were in extremely powerful positions because they could cut deals and no one would notice. First of all, they're the only one, if, if anyone knows how many rolls they currently have stored, they're the one who knows, and even they didn't know. They had some rough estimate. Uh, it's full under my bunk, so I have enough. You mm -hmm. know, people don't go through them every day. And if anyone knew, they knew. So if they made like an under the table deal, nobody would even know that that happened. But what would happen is, I mean, basically half the time I was there, one of the groups was like overpopulated. You know, and. They were constantly trying to beg for toilet paper. And one of the things I found out was that a guy, would, he would trade them, which were supposed to be the groups, right? Mm -hmm. He would trade them, but he'd be the only one benefiting from it. But at the same time, it, it, what's funny, I guess, in the general theme is that where people draw the line for what is okay and what isn't okay is so skewed because the whole reason for them being there, right, is because they broke some societal rule. Mm -hmm. So on some level, they have to value um, breaking the rules. But on another level, things have to work. So this guy, anyhow, the, the end of it is, this guy who was doing this, he was, he was trading out his group's toilet paper, which happened to be a small group, so nobody knew mm -hmm. it was happening, and I just was somewhere around, and I happened to be cool with the guy. Um, he's like, well, there are rules, but you gotta, you know, get whatever you can get at the same time. And I think that when I think about financial markets, when I think about, you know, universal health care, when I think about certain things, certain things that are either historically against the common good of the average person or could work out to make it better for everyone but they for whatever reason the details don't work out i'm reminded of this guy who's kind of making these under the table deals where 
we're in a society, we all have these needs. Toilet paper is like a basic need. Mm -hmm. And it's great that you don't have to pay for it. But at the same time, if you don't set it up initially so that everyone gets what they need, you're guaranteed to get guys like him. And that might be, well, I don't know if it's guaranteed, but it seems that way to me Mm -hmm. at the moment that that's true for the regular world, too. Um, And you kind of get to study these macro phenomena in these small groups because for us, that pod is the world. Mm -hmm. No goods can come in or out unless it's commissary. So you you have a little mini experiment that, um, you know, a lot of weird stories can come out of, but I think that there might be something, some significant point to be made in some of them. And some of these, some of these phenomena that I that I observed. The, it's so in talking about um, sort of the phenomena, I I kind of actually want to go back, okay, um, and touch on something you were talking about how, um, and this was this had to do with the jail economy, you know, um, sort of assigning values and things like this, um, and it got me on this 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 track of thought. Really, and I, I, you kind of brought me back when you said when you're in jail, you know, your pod is the world. Right, yeah. And That's th- a deep point. That Yeah. I mean, the thing is, to me, uh, jail is sort of, um, it really was, uh, certainly with the other inmates, it's a, shockingly, maybe this isn't the right word for it, I, I put my bets on it, um, I'd say it's very intimate. Yeah. With the other inmates, oh, it's a yeah. very intimate experience. Because the thing is, and this is what's really interesting, unlike uh, friends that we choose on the outside and family, um, for the most part, you know, there's some time away. When you're in jail, you're with your in you're with your cellmates every day yeah. through every part of their day. Right. And you have it, and that's the thing. You really have to get to know them, and you have to understand the systems they've set up. And it is this really personal, intimate experience. And I think that does play into the economy because part of the economy is understanding these sort of values that are assigned to things, how the group approaches it. But it's also understanding the personal values that people have and approaching. So that's the thing. You know, you look at someone, let's take jellies, for instance. A jelly has a lot of value. Right, and the thing is, the group value that's placed upon it is sort of, sort of, I suppose, the societal value that's placed on it, at least in jail, yeah. is quite high. But there's going to be people within that society that personally have more or less value for that jelly. Right. There's going to, you know, there's so probably someone that really, and it's also, you know, it depends on the situation. There's someone that's going to need that jelly right now for a spread. <laughs> And, you know, you have it taped on the wall with nope, and it's just like they, oh man, it's, it's all the, the more taunting. I know, it's something that they really <laughs> desperately need. But there could be another person in there who's just like, I don't need a jelly. And they just, they, they don't care. They The value to them is lowered. And that was part of the game as well. When I was trying to figure out that game, a lot of it was not just looking at how the group was approaching this problem. But how people as individuals approached it. You know, what can I trade with someone? What are they going to value more or less? I remember there was this one guy. um, For me, when I was in jail, I had... I loved um, the milks. 
I, yeah, I, I essentially yeah. survived on the milk. When it was like SOS, yeah. I wouldn't eat the SOS. I'd literally just have milk. That was my breakfast. So I, I, I really learned to love the milks that we got. And I remember there was this guy who every dinner he would he would want a soup. So he would come to me because he knew that I valued that milk in his dessert right. more than someone else might. And I had a shit ton of soups. I had a stockpile. Yeah. So he'd say, you want, you know, this milk and this dessert for a soup. And if I, you know, if it was a good enough dessert, I would say, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, uh, we trade. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that just shows that he as well, he kind of was learning, you know, he understood that game as well. And I was part of the game. You yeah. know, he had to understand not just how, uh, you know, that milk and dessert were things of value, but that I personally had more, I assigned more value to them than someone else might. And I had the stockpile. So right. I was the perfect person for that situation. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, you're right about that. I agree with you. And I remember that being, I'm glad you brought that up, but I remember that being one of the shocking moments about being in jail is recognizing that this is, this is very, yeah, like you said, it's intimate and my day, the degree to which my day is improved is directly correlated with how many people I know here. When I first got there, I didn't want to talk to anyone, you know? Even though my charges were serious, I think most people have in mind I'm going to get out of here pretty quickly, right? But just speaking to certain people during the day just ripped my, my mind open to, wow, this is how I can make this enjoyable for myself. I can really, you know, I, I remember at some point I would really look forward to seeing people. Mm-hmm. Hey, how are you doing today? You know, what's going on? It doesn't matter if we just talk five minutes about, like, whatever's on TV or you want to tell me a story about your life. How did you end up here? And I really became a lot more investigative after a while. After I broke that pattern of thinking, you know, this is me and my... It, it, in a way, the more intimate you get the more you can just deal with your day. And I don't think that has anything to do with, you know, the fact that we had something in common as criminals. It just seemed to be more of a human being thing. Like, I, I recognized at some point what someone had done previous to meeting me was a non-issue, which, before I was in jail, that, I mean, that's huge, right? If someone had told me they'd been, a, a, you know, a pimp for the last five years, that's the end of the conversation. But because you don't have the option of filtering in the way that you otherwise would, I think it gave me the opportunity to see the humanity in a lot of other people, one. But on a simpler note, just, I don't know, recognizing that in a way you feel like you're all in it together, even though everyone's doing a different amount of time, blah, 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 blah. That day, you're all there, you know, and... People are trying to gain you one way or another, but it wasn't like, I mean, I had a fear of just someone coming up and trying to steal my cornbread, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality of it was people were surprisingly helpful. And even if I broke a rule, maybe this is more of a, a matter of luck than a property of the pod. But usually if it was the first time, people would know that I didn't mean disrespect and that I, they would just explain the rule to mm-hmm. me rather than, you know, beating the shit out of me or yeah. whatever they, whatever would happen if I were in prison. Um, so that it, 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 
once you realize what games other people are playing and you just stay out of their way, it, I actually felt like there, there are not only fun moments, but there are fun days. There are fun weeks. And you... It's all, it all seemed to be tied to the fact that, like you said, we're all living together, you know? We're not just around every once in a while. You know, you're, you're, you're sleeping in bunks that are just right next to yeah. one another. And you can't help but to find common ground wherever you can. And um, that played a role in the economy. And um, people would tell me, oh, you can't... Uh, you know, you, you, you can't uh, make that trade with this person, but this guy, he always needs this. So go over there and make the trade with him, mm -hmm. and you'll have better success. So, so knowledge of the inmates can enhance your experience. Mm -hmm. um, talking to people, making trades with people, um, having certain skills, I feel. Um, so, there, so there aren't just the services. I mean, there aren't just the products in the jail economy. There are also the services. Mm -hmm. And the services included, like, making spoons. I remember uh, we would have these thumb spokes. Yeah, oh my... <laughs> and yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, and I found out, you know, a couple months in, yeah, I just asked that guy to make you uh, a spoon. What? You can do that? Yeah, so he takes a trash bag. I don't know how he got it, but I think it's contraband just to have a trash bag. Mm-hmm. And he ties it to this bunk, and he's doing this whole, you know, a craft right in front of my eyes. And I'm like, this is, you know, he spins it into string. He uh, he says, do you have a spare toothbrush? I don't have one. He's like, I got one. Here, go to this guy, get the, uh, the nail clippers, one guy. So the nail clippers can come in a commissary package. But they're supposed to be, that was supposed to be discontinued. But somehow this guy got a package with the nail clipper. So he snuck it in, and suddenly... He's like the most valuable guy yeah. in the pod. So they said, go get the nail clippers, take out the bristles. I go, I spend all day taking out the bristle. It's like a whole process. Take it back to the guy. He sterilizes it, ties it up. He's like, just come back every, you know, three weeks or a month, and I'll redo it free of charge for a soup or two, something like that. And you realize, like, this guy wasn't a spoon maker before he got here. You just learn that skill mm -hmm. when you're in here for long enough. You look at the economy and you say, where are the holes? Um, another service was washing clothes. This was the most, oh man. So this guy, there was a guy who was a drug dealer in there that when I met him, I realized like if I had been in his shoes, I'd probably be him because he was a really smart guy. He was just wedded to kind of a religion that didn't make sense. It was... He was obsessed with drug dealing. Mm -hmm. Everyone in his family did it, right? He said he brags about, like, his older brother who some significant thing happened to him in the pen. But he was also just a crazy entrepreneur where within, like, the first month of him being there, not only did he have a laundry business, <laughs> he had a laundry business with two people working underneath him Jeez. at every point in time. And this is how crazy it was. A guy would get rolled up. He would leave the pod. That's what they said. Rolled up. Yeah. And within like three days, some new guy would be working for this guy, washing clothes. So it was at the point where he didn't even do any of the work that his business supported. He just went out and 
got new demons. He was a manager. He was a manager. He had people mopping the floors for him. And he wasn't an aggressive guy. He wasn't threatening to fight anyone. He had just set up a system that no one else was smart enough to set up. Yeah. Where the way that the soups were distributed, you know, it, it made sense. They would spread with him. So instead of getting paid in the soups directly, it just gets it factored into the spread. And this way you can break things down into percentages of a soup mm-hmm. instead of just a full soup. And with that innovation alone, you can run circles around everyone else because no one else is thinking on this level. Yeah. So, um, anyhow, the, the, the washing clothes, I, I just wish, oh, I remember there was a moment, there was a moment where I was like, I, I need to like teach this guy physics. Like it'd be a disservice not to. And, uh, he didn't want to learn this stuff, but also I remember he got this, uh, this face tattoo while I was in there. So mm-hmm. he had tattoos, but he didn't have a face tattoo. Yeah. So he got one while I was in there and I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Maybe I don't see you as a professor anymore yeah. now, but and it was just my wishful thinking in the first place, given that he wasn't interested. But I was I was fascinated that there for certain people, it really wasn't a matter of it. It almost seemed like, and maybe this is a flaw in my thinking, but it almost seemed like it wasn't even a flaw in their morality that got them there. It was just that they were born into some program that they hadn't questioned, and. For a lot of people, going to jail or prison is the first chance that they have to just think about the direction their life is going in. And for that guy, especially, along with a a couple of other people, um, it just seemed like this guy has the potential to be a real businessman Mm -hmm. and not a drug dealer. Yeah. So not that drug dealers don't aren't not that the drug business isn't a real business. I mean, one where he doesn't have to worry about a criminal problem anymore, where he could just be a manager. He could, and he had. He definitely had the intellectual capability, from what I saw, and uh, the, sort of the, I suppose the the work ethic, the yeah. to put in the time and the effort to not just develop again a laundry business, but to factor in, you know, ha- having employees and putting them in spreads. And it's actually very interesting that you bring up spreads because, um, I think for me the spreads were the spreads were this crazy intersection between economic principles and I I think maybe this is the wrong word but sociological principles as well where you yeah. have um, this sort of interaction going on where you have things of value going into a larger but it's also a very it's a, so I used to participate in spreads not necessarily because I wanted the food but because I knew that participating in the spreads made me seem better. It, it yeah. put it. It's it, a status thing. It's too. a status thing, and you know, you kind of bolster your reputation and your status with other people. You know, I was trying to make connections, right? So that it was. So I, I guess, in a way, someone had my back. You exactly, know? and that, and and that's one of the weird things that happens is someone told me one day, "You're an inmate now." When you first came in. I don't know. But now you're definitely an inmate. And one of the things that I experienced, which it sounds like you're describing, is the fact that these status games, on some level, have a protective uh, feature to them. That it's almost like an insurance play. Where even though I don't care about anything you guys are doing, Mm -hmm. I know that enough people are involved in violent stuff 
so that I want people to have my back. Yes. You know, and it can be as simple as I have a disagreement over which channel we choose from, you know, to watch. And some guy threatens to fight me, and but he won't if he knows people have my back. And it could be that, you know, it could be a thousand things. Like, actually, that's a really good example. That's enough to show that other, you know, other people's actions on some level depend on your status. Mm-hmm. As, as, as peaceful as you want to keep things, you recognize that some part of the program that a lot of people are playing is that it's okay to like start up a fight in X situation, but it's not necessary. So that they have some discretion and you being a part of you having higher status Mm -hmm. will play a role in them perhaps just choosing to let something go. I mean, did you ever have a close call? So me, I never had a, I never got close to fights. I never got involved in fights. I was very passive and I, I'm, I generally like to think of myself as a pretty passive person. So even if there was a, a conflict, I would usually just let it go. And I think it's funny looking at it now that probably painted me as a somewhat weak person exactly that's i think if you're passive more the reason to to boost your status yeah and that's the thing and you know it wasn't in i i use you know someone has my back uh i kind of that that seems like you the obvious um extension of that is is protection physical protection from fights but it was a kind of interesting thing because um, more so than just physical protection, it was, you know, having someone to talk, you know, if you yeah. were someone to play card games with, you know, you'd get invited into card games, which is a small thing oh, looking at huge. it from the outside. But on the inside, it's massive. Having someone, you know, being invited into a card game is really, you know, it's one way to stave off boredom, but it's it's a, it's a connection and it's, uh, it makes the time bearable. And on top of that, you mentioned someone who made you a spoon. You essentially traded a service, right? Yeah. You Someone made you that spoon. They said, come back and I'll, you know, make it for you again for a, a soup or so. Um, I, there were people in there that made string. And, of course, similar to how you described, um, they, they had these sort of service jobs. But I figured out that if you, if you kind of get to know the person and you have that status and you kind of almost develop a relationship, with these people, yeah, the services are going to be, and it plays into the economy. Yeah, you have to pay less, or maybe even pay nothing, right, to get the service. And it really kind of, again, it's a very interesting game that you play. Yeah, I felt that. Speaking of relationships, one thing that surprised me was when I was released. Mm-hmm. The immediate feeling was sadness, and that's not just being released from jail. That's also being released from being sentenced and going from higher security to lower security, which should have been the greatest thing ever mm-hmm. because I didn't even have a library. I mean, they had a couple of Bibles and a Quran, but um, in the lowest security, they, you have access to a library two times a week, I think. You can go to classes almost every day a week, um, including a San Jose State class now, which is pretty wild. That's awesome. Yeah. But um, it was one of the saddest days because... You realize that, wow, I've been living with these people for whatever. They've told me, you know, just their life stories. Mm -hmm. I know the darkest time of half the people in this pod. 
and they opened up to me because they knew that I wouldn't judge them. And it's it's really um, a twisted thing, considering my perspective of jail before any of this happened. It's just you know you're in you're locked up, and then it's it's kind of like a black box. You don't I don't really know what goes on. I just know it's bad, and I know that that's where bad people go. And eventually you come out, and I I guess you're rehabilitated. I guess that's what I thought before. Mm-hmm. Um, now I strongly disagree. In most cases, although some people, you know, who have access to um, certain treatment do get rehabilitated. But the relationships really dominate so much of the world that I hardly even thought about court. I didn't even care. It's And what could I do anyway? When I was in court, it's not like I was speaking to the judge and we were having a conversation. Mm-hmm. It was, okay, stand up. He's going to say, she's going to say something to you. He's going to say something. You nod your head, sit back down. And that's like, you know, two minutes out of that entire day. The most interesting thing about um, court was everything else, you know, sitting with people in the holding cell, getting chained to somebody. On a side note, I got chained to this homeless guy. I think one of the last times I went to court Mm -hmm. and everybody was avoiding him. They're like, oh, you come over here. So I'm sitting on the bus with him. And eventually, I'd been thinking about this for a while, because I'd never really lived homeless. But jail isn't all that bad, especially when you know people, right? Well, it, my experience wasn't all that bad. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. My experience wasn't all that bad. And one of the big things was you can see people really sculpt their bodies. You can eat fairly well. There's certain positive things. And I asked this guy, do you think, I mean, I don't mean to be offensive, but do you see a benefit to being in jail versus being on the streets? I've never, I don't know. I'm not, you know. And he was a much older guy. Um, but basically he said, you know, I've had different stages in my life. I've had, you know, I still have kids, but I've had a wife and kids. I've had a house, you know, I had a car, I had a regular job. Mm-hmm. One thing led to another. I messed around with some drugs I shouldn't have, but... I'm dealing with it. But here's the thing. I'd much rather be free. Even being homeless is better than being in jail. Mm-hmm. Like, the the thing that maybe you're too young to understand is that as comfortable as you are right now, you figured out, you know, you have your friends, whatever, in jail. You, you get enough soups. Honestly, yeah, I have deck shoes and enough soups. It's like a good day, yeah. right? He's like, your freedom is priceless. And... Maybe it's like your first time being in jail, and that's why you you would ask. But I just thought that it was really profound, and um, I don't know if it even connects to the economy. Well, I mean, that's but, fine. But, I, uh, I mean, in a way, it connects to just the regular economy, right? Exactly. Is that the fact that the narrative that you need to have money to be happy, you know, this guy obviously disagrees. Yeah. I just felt lucky to be able to talk to the guy. But, oh yeah, it does because go, that's what I would look forward to, going to court. It's just being able to talk to somebody who's from a different walk of life. Yeah. Um, and the reason is, one, because of the economy, I think, and two, because the relationships that played a role in the economy. Um, and just, to me, showed me a bit of what human beings are like. Take the time right there. Oh, um... I should end with a question. That's that's true. But I don't know. I don't have any questions. 
Uh, hmm. Do you have a question? Just in general to ask? Yeah, in general. It doesn't have to be about anything we talked about. Uh, maybe it... Um, uh, actually, uh, giving... I actually have a good one, and I'm going to touch on what you just said. And um, I suppose the question I would ask is, what is the value of freedom? Uh, what is the value of freedom? Okay, so I think that I think that it boils down to um, the choices that you have. I don't I don't know I don't know if the the general term freedom is that meaningful to me. But what is meaningful is do I get to make choices about the things that I value? Mm -hmm. And I th I think that it the value of freedom starts with what your values are um, and I think freedom is, is, is different for everyone because they have different values what you want versus what you are capable of um, making a decision about or capable of influencing whatever however you want to put it I think it depends on just what you want mm -hmm. from your job and for me a lot of what I want just has to do with exploring and understanding and because of that I, I, I value kind of I value things that enhance my ability to do that and if I see those things being compromised then I, I feel that my freedom is being compromised even if to someone else that same change would make no difference so um, that's it, I guess. If that covers it, that's my value of freedom. But, but what's yours? Um, you know, it's you bring up an excellent point. Um, freedom, I mean, it, it does boil down to choices. And in having freedom, where freedom make... I mean, that's the thing. What is What does it mean to truly be free? Yeah. There's no way to, uh, you know, and that's the thing. It's a definitions thing. Well, what? How do you define freedom? Yeah. You know, how do you value freedom? What? How did? And everyone's going to have a different value and different definition. Um, so having an agreement is surely a, the best thing. But for me personally, I would say, you know, having the ability to make more choices than I currently have—that's what I strive for—to put myself in that position. Because I'm never going to have full choice over what I can do or who I can be. There's always going to be limitations. There's going to be restrictions on what I can do and who it can be and what choices I can make. But I feel the more choices I have in what I can do, who I can be, and um, uh, the last one, which I just forgot even though I just said it, uh, <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's what I want to strive for. And that would be... that's at least why freedom is valuable to me because I want to have more freedom, more choice over what I can do. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's everything. Thanks, man. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, that's, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's a cloudy day and uh, the oven's still heated up. Still heated up. Still heated up. The Chef of X podcast. Mmm, delicious. Delicious.